Willkommen, this is Julia. And this is Shane. And this is Think Plant-Based. Think Plant-Based. Make sure to check out recipes, health tips, travel tips at www.thinkplantbased.com. And we're officially on iTunes, so please rate and write us a review on iTunes. Write us a review. Give us... Two stars, three stars, maybe five stars. Let us know. Oh, for sure, Let's, five. Yeah, I mean, who would give us two stars anyways, yeah. right? But yeah, make sure to do that because that's how we get found. We are also on YouTube. Check us out and find us on Think Plant Based. Welcome back to Think Welcome Plant back. Based. Think Plant Based. Isn't that amazing and exciting today? We have a very special day. And a special guest. very special guest. <laughs> As yeah, always, exactly, we always right? have special guests. <laughs> we always yeah, do. Stuart All the Walder. way from Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, welcome, Stuart, to Hi, our Julia. show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, our Great. pleasure. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, how you became vegan or plant-based. Okay. I uh, grew up in the state of Kentucky, where I live now. And, um, you know, I ate animal-based foods for the first 23 years of my life, just like most people around me, I was taught to do so by my parents who thought that, you know, if I ate animal-based foods, as well as fruits and veggies, that I would grow up to be, you know, healthy and strong. And um, unfortunately, you know, Kentucky is a beautiful state with, with great people, but unfortunately, it is one of the least healthy states in the United States. For instance, we rank 48 and healthy, healthy behaviors and 47th in health outcomes. So wow. that's pretty bad. And there's only one other state that has more people with multiple chronic health conditions than Kentucky. So we are a state with uh, a lot of unhealthy people, unfortunately. And so that's the state I grew up in. And I just saw a lot of people around me and in the community and my family struggling with chronic conditions like heart disease, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, and, you know, I just thought it was inevitable. We were all going to get sick with one of these chronic conditions. <laughs> and the best we could hope for was to try to manage it with pills, shots and surgeries. You know, that's the that's the mentality of so many people in Kentucky. So right. that's how I grew up. And it was in 1985, uh, when I was 23 years old, I'm old, <laughs> that um, I made a, a lifestyle change that, I th that science said would offer me the best chance of avoiding one of these chronic conditions that I was seeing so many people around me suffer with. And that's when I became plant-based um, oh, wow. in 1985. Did you have uh, any health issues at all? When you were 23? I did not. No? no? I did not. No. I was experiencing great health, you know, as most, you know, not everyone at the age of 23 yeah. is, is experiencing great health. I know that. Right. But a vast majority of us when we're in our 20s are feel like we're pretty invincible. Yeah, you exactly. Know? You're right. And exactly. Uh, could eat anything we wanted and all that. So, <laughs> But uh, science was coming out saying that uh, eating animal-based foods uh, – could lead to heart disease and like I said so many of these chronic conditions and I knew I didn't want to become a statistic so that's when I made this lifestyle change and fortunately I had friends and family who were doing this with me so that made oh, it nice. easier um, and you know back in 1985 oh my gosh it was like a vegan wasteland in the United <laughs> States you know maybe if I lived in California it would have been easier yeah. but in Kentucky it was not so um, but we made it work you know I think there was like only one brand of uh, 
non-dairy milk available. It was a soy <laughs> milk, and you could maybe find you know one brand of tofu, but uh, it wasn't very firm, so it was kind of kind of <laughs> nasty. But you know, we made it work, and we just adopted a whole foods, plant-based lifestyle. We weren't eating, you know, the processed vegan food like you have now. Right. Um, and you know, we did great. And I enjoyed it. And, you know, we were even making our own kombucha. Can you wow. believe that? Oh, <laughs> 1985 wow. Homemade. Really? Wow. You People, Julia used to make her own yeah. kombucha all the time. But yeah. in the 80s? People, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Cool. People thought we were crazy. What yeah. are you doing growing this What is this, you know, this stuff? What is this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Right? So, what are these hippies doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Um, but, yeah, but then I started traveling more, and it was just impossible to be healthy and uh, be a plant-based uh, person in the United States in right. 1987. So, you know, you can't you can't sustain yourself on iceberg lettuce, you know, <laughs> salad. So, uh, yeah. and you know, so we became vegetarian at that point just to make it easier to travel and to get you know the, the nutrition that we needed, uh, simply because. You you know, plant-based foods were not uh, available at that time. Right. Um, not like not like today. Yeah. Certainly. And then in nineteen, no, say two thousand and eight, um, I became plant-based again, and have been plant-based, you know, since ever since. So the last fifteen years. So, I gave up eating meat thirty-eight years ago, and seventeen of those years I've been plant-based, and you know I've enjoyed excellent health, and I've avoided all the chronic conditions that I see in so many people around me. And, you know, my primary care physician says I'm an outlier in his practice because of my wow. healthy lifestyle. In fact, wow. he wrote a great endorsement for my book. So <laughs> okay. that made me feel really good. And it wasn't really until I saw him, I didn't even have a primary care physician. But when I turned 50, I thought, you know, I probably should have a colonoscopy and just for routine screening. Right. And so I found this primary care physician and the, you know, the first time it's a teaching hospital, the University of Kentucky, it's the largest healthcare system in the state of Kentucky. And that's where my primary care physician uh, has his practice and it's a teaching hospital. So when I went in for the first time, uh, you know, some resident students uh, interviewed me and um, the questions kept coming and coming and coming. And at one point the doctor said, I'm, I'm sorry we're grilling you with all these questions, but we're just trying to find some evidence that you're actually 50 years old. <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. Yeah, you look young. Yeah, when, yeah. Uh, a, yeah, a light bulb went off at that moment. I was like, really? I mean, that that's when I realized that, you know, I'm not your typical 50-year-old Kentuckian who's walking <laughs> into a, a, you know, a medical clinic right. uh, because I'm not suffering from any of these conditions that, that you know, are, are basically conditions that come from uh, a lifetime of consuming animal-based foods. And so by my giving that up at such an early age, I've been able to avoid all that. And knock on wood, I'm, I'm still still doing it. And I'm still reaping the benefits from um, 38 years of not having meat and 17 of which I've not had dairy or eggs or cheese. So That's wow. amazing. How is yeah. your environment That's of like great. people, like what feedback do you get when they hear you're vegan? In Kentucky. <laughs> well, it's it's pretty. It's well, the first thing we always hear, right? Is where do you get your protein? So that's yeah. like the first thing everyone's Still like trying it. to figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always the first question. But you know, it's it's pretty good. You know, people understand, and I think more and more people uh, are okay that there are vegans out in the world and they're getting more and more comfortable with it. Um, but right. you know, there were some studies and I share a lot of science in my book, but there were studies um, that showed that, you know, 
meat eaters get very uncomfortable by just being in the presence of a plant-based eater, someone who doesn't uh, consume animal based foods, it makes an omnivore very uncomfortable. And they start engaging in all these strategies like denial of of animal mind, denial of animal pain, uh, and they get quite defensive. Sometimes, you know, the vegan or plant-based eater doesn't have to do anything. We don't have to bring it up. And if the person knows that we're that way, you know, they can get really defensive and start, you know, justifying all of their uh, eating preferences and habits. So, you know, it's a mix. You know, some people, you know, respect it. Some people uh, are threatened by it and they right. start getting defensive. You know, I'm sure you've experienced that as well. <laughs> exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Exactly. And I think we're in this, on the same boat with most people that are vegan. Yeah. It, yeah. it happens. The most powerful thing is really you don't even say anything. Yeah. But that's the yeah. thing, right? Actions are more powerful than words. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, for... Um, you know, many, many years, I was comfortable just doing my own thing and letting other people do theirs, you know, because yeah. I'm not about blaming and shaming people. Sure. Uh, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody because, you know, I was living in the matrix for the first 23 years of my life and I was comfortable there. I never gave the animals a second thought about, you know, the animals that I was eating. I didn't think about their quality of life or that they were killed for me to eat them. It was just, you know, that all was uh, normalized for me at a very early age by this culture. And so I can't blame people for for not making those connections and connecting those dots, you know. Um, But I, so for a long time, I was just happy to do my thing. But it became really clear to me that um, we're at a critical time on our planet right now with um, <clears throat> climate change, emerging infectious diseases, you know, biodiversity loss, mass extinction rates, uh, environmental degradation, you know, our declining health and the horrible return on investment of animal agriculture. I mean, right. the signs are all around us that we're at an access point on this planet we need to make some changes fast to help avert some of the worst case scenarios of of climate change and emerging infectious diseases and and all these things you know so when i was doing my research i realized that you know all of those things and more are connected to the food on our plates and choices that we're making in the grocery aisle and i thought you know I wanted to share that message with people because I don't think it gets talked about enough. And, you know, sure, I could talk to one person at a time, um, you know, (laughs) but I thought maybe writing a book and trying to uh, incorporate all the the science that I was reading about climate change and the environment and animal welfare and health and nutrition into, you know, one book and one resource that people could use um, to help them, you know, make uh, better decisions. Because I'm all about uh, helping people make informed decisions. And I think that the science that I share in my book will help people make better choices, you know, starting with the food on their plates. Oh, yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, now you pretty much explained why you wrote your book, Escape the Matrix, I guess. And um, let's see. Uh, and what message do you hope readers will take away from it as well? Do you have anything else to add on it? Yeah. Well, um, I'm using the, the the world in the Matrix movies as a metaphor for our world. So, right. uh, you know, in the Matrix movies, artificial intelligence has taken over the planet and is using humans as an as an energy source. 
And, you know, the artificial intelligence doesn't see, you know, individual human beings. They see humanity as a source that they can exploit for energy. And I say our world is similar to that because, you know, we have taken over this planet. There's over 8 billion people on the planet today. And we're using farmed uh, farmed animals as our energy source. And we don't see farmed animals as individuals. We see them as food commodities. And because we don't see them as uh, sentient beings... Uh, it allows us to do all the things that the artificial intelligence was doing to <laughs> human beings in the movie. So I think right. there's, you know, uh, there's a, this connection between the movie and our world. And I, I just wanted to help people see that and see that, you know, I think most people were really, really shocked when they saw all those humans in pods that artificial intelligence was using uh, as the energy source. And when I looked at that and saw that in the movie, the first thing I thought of was factory farming. I mean, that's what we're doing to farmed animals. And so I think there's a real good correlation there. And also that we have a choice. You know, on the front of my cover of my book, there's a hand extending the red pill. And it symbolizes, you know, (laughs) the red pill that Morpheus uh, offered to Neo. Right. And, you know, most people in this culture don't think we have a choice. I mean, most people sure. think we need to consume animal-based <laughs> foods because, you know, where are we going to get our protein from? Right. <laughs> you know, but it's not true. I mean, we do have a choice. And the the idea that we don't have a choice was just something that, you know, the matrix or the or this culture ingrained in us at a very early age. And so uh, my book is just an invitation to kind of disrupt that and say, look, there is we do have a choice in the in uh not choosing the red pill if we continue choosing the blue pill my book shows like this is what's going to happen you know we're going to just get uh you know see uh further environmental degradation our our health is going to continue to decline we're going to see more emerging infectious diseases we're going to see greater uh climate change so all of these things are connected to the meat and dairy industries and i share all the science uh, uh in the book that i found that supports that you know shifting away from eating animal-based foods to a healthy whole foods plant-based lifestyle will help us avert some of the worst case scenarios of, of climate change and emerging infectious diseases and all of that so I have lots of statistics in my book, and I can just share, you know, the main one, you know, one big one is Oxford University did a study of, uh, they analyzed over 38,000 farms in 119 countries, and they determined that uh, the average American could reduce their carbon footprint by 73% simply by becoming plant-based. You know, and so people don't realize that they're uh, thinking we need to, you know, uh, put solar panels on our homes or start driving an electric vehicle, but they're totally ignoring the food on their plate. And, you know, there's no single other thing that we could do to lower our carbon footprint by 73%. So uh, that's another one of the reasons why I wanted this information to get out there, because, you know, people want to do something that's good for the environment, you know, and we want to make sure that our actions are having the desired impact. And um, the the greatest impact that we could have uh, based on this Oxford University study and others like it is uh, by becoming plant-based. That's amazing. And I love how you came up with that book, like Metrix, right? The word Metrix, because we, <laughs> some people, our audience will know the YouTube video of the Metrix, right? With the cute right, animals. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us a story <laughs> about that? How it all. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I was doing a lot of research, like I said, in nutrition and health and climate change and the environment. And as I was reading all these studies, and I was like, you know, I was scratching my head trying to make sense of it all. I was thinking, you know, why? Why do we do all this when there's this mountain of evidence that's saying eating animal-based foods is, is bad for us, bad for the planet, and, of course, bad for the animals? And I, I struggled to make sense of it all. And that's when I realized one day I was thinking, you know, it's it's like we're born into this cult of, of the matrix. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is really cool. You know, so I, uh, I, I came home and I was like, I did a Google search on that term, you know, matrix, and I found like uh, these uh, animations by the Grace Foundation. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, someone's already beat me to it. No surprise there. It's a great uh, portmanteau, you know, yeah. matrix combining meat and matrix. Sure. But I reached out to them and, and uh, asked if, if they were okay with my using uh, matrix uh, in my title of my book because they had trademarked the phrase um, and they gave me their blessing. And, and so that was really, really great. great. Uh, they, they said, yeah, I could go ahead and use it as long as I gave a disclosure in, in the front of my book, which I do. So... I really appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really appreciated their w letting me, uh, you know, move forward with my book and with my concept of my book. That's awesome. Your book looks great, by the way. Yeah, love it. Oh, thank yeah. you. Really thank powerful. You. So you're really taking the red pill by reading it, right? You don't really have to <laughs> literally take the red pill. It's like why you're reading, right? That's how you digest yeah. the red pill. Oh, yeah, for sure. you're, you're digesting the red pill when you're you're reading the, the uh, chapters and information that's in my book. And, you know, I try to cover, you know, all kinds of different areas of why a plant-based lifestyle is so powerful. So I have a chapter on why escape the matrix for your health. And I list, you know, the top 10 causes of death of Americans. And I show the science behind why a plant-based lifestyle offers you protection from nine out of the top 10. Mm. Um, the only one it doesn't offer you protection from is accidents <laughs> unfortunately it doesn't you know eliminate accidents because uh, those happen regardless yeah. and then i have a chapter on you know why escape the matrix for the planet and i go through the science behind that and then also a chapter on why escape uh, the matrix for the animals and so much more so it's 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 a a um, compilation of a lot of science. There's over 400 citations in my book. Wow. I'm really proud of all the research. Uh, and it comes from prestigious organizations like Oxford University and Harvard and uh, the Mayo Clinic and so forth. Um, and it's some of the leading science that's out there right now that supports um, uh, plant-based lifestyles um, for all, all the reasons that I've said, uh, already. So wow. that's awesome. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. So how can we, uh, encourage maybe more people to go plant-based and, uh, maybe you can touch on some more benefits of it. And we all know, you know, <laughs> health wise, mm -hmm. but maybe, yeah, some more benefits, if you know. Well, I think that, you know, we've talked about a little bit about the health benefits, like you said, uh, Shane, but I think what often doesn't get talked about are the environmental and climate change um, benefits. Right. You know, mainstream media talks a lot about the need to divest ourselves from burning of fossil fuels. And they talk a lot about, you know, the need to drive electric vehicles. But mainstream media um, doesn't really talk about the environmental impact and uh, of the food on our plates. So I think that's a, a really important thing that we need to talk about. And I appreciate, you know, being on shows like yours to have conversations like this so that we can um, help, 
you know, uh, get the message out there that it's not only for our health, but it's for the health of the planet and for future generations. You know, one of the things that I share in my book is a quote by Business Insider, and they said, a hamburger isn't something bought and paid for, but a symbol of a debt that one day must be repaid. Wow. And so, you know, people aren't aware that, you know, that there's a huge environmental cost to having that $4 burger. And uh, I think once people can connect those dots, it'll help them make, you know, better choices, you know, for themselves and, and for the planet. And the other thing is it's never been easier or tastier to become plant-based <laughs> yeah, than it is now. True. I mean, um, there's so many more uh, products that have come to the market in the last, you know, four or five years, and they're just getting better and better every year. And so I think one of the ways people can transition is to, uh, you know, we're used to centering a meal around a piece of animal protein on our plate. And so we can swap out that animal protein with some plant-based chicken or some other kind of plant-based meat alternative and continue to enjoy the same recipes that, you know, we're accustomed to creating and enjoy the taste of that. But we can reap the health benefits uh, by going plant-based with the protein and it helps the planet as well. Um, And I know the plant-based meat alternatives right now, uh, at least in the United States, are, are more expensive than animal-based foods. Yeah, you too. Um, but, you know, animal... Mm-hmm. Yeah, same there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, animal-based foods are, are luxury items, you know. Sure. And they, they would be luxury items if our government didn't subsidize them as much as they do. So, yeah, exactly. for instance, in uh, 2019, I think it was, that the U.S. government gave cattle ranchers $9 billion just wow. that one year alone, just in direct and indirect payments, just so they can produce a you know, $4 hamburger. Yeah. And by comparison, you know, the government doesn't subsidize, you know, plant-based foods nearly <laughs> Lentils, as much. Beans. And so we have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have these inequities beans. that are baked into the system, you know. And right. if, uh, so what I'll advocate for in my book is that, you know, the government needs to subsidize plant-based foods more and help farmers retool their operations away from animal-based agriculture into plant-based uh, food economy, because that's where we have to go. Uh, like I said, we have 8 billion people on the planet we're supposed to have 10 billion people on the planet by the year 2050 and uh, that's about a 22 percent increase in our population but the demand for meat and dairy is expected to increase by 60 percent between now and then so wow. that's simply not sustainable we, we we don't have the land or the resources to uh to to feed uh, a growing population uh meat and dairy is simply right. uh impossible yeah. and it can't be done yeah. I'm worried other, about China too yeah, because the population is rising so highly and how are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, plant-based lifestyles are not promoted that well and unfortunately the kids that get raised they don't know any different. I mean you're born into it to, right. to eat what um, you get fed right? Yeah. What do your parents born into the matrix, right? But like I, <laughs> yeah. I think like with <laughs> China it's going to be said. very problematic a lot. Like the mm-hmm. population is just so high. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, this, I think, you know, this transition is going to be 
slow and gradual, but it hasn't been, you know, the, there's been a widespread adoption of a plant-based lifestyle in the United States and in the UK, and it hasn't been gradual. It's been, it's been an explosion. So like in the United States, um, people who identify as plant-based eaters has gone up 300%. And in the between 2014 and 2019, I think uh, the number of plant-based eaters in the UK quadrupled. So there's been a huge explosion of people identifying as plant-based and adopting this this way of eating as a lifestyle. But unfortunately, it's still a minority of people. So right. Um, this change needs to happen from multiple facets. So as individuals, we need to vote with our dollars and we yeah. need to buy exactly. uh, plant-based foods because when we buy a plant-based food, we're telling um, the market basically that we want more of it. So right. there is there is a, if we start buying, they start supplying kind of mentality there. So, but it also, that's not enough. There's not enough of us identifying as plant-based eaters to really have the kind of impact that we need to have in the time that we need to have it in. So we right. need to also work to make changes systemically from above. And that's why I'm advocating for the, the government to uh, adjust its subsidy program. So for instance, for every dollar, a lentil grower receives, a cattle rancher receives $470. And for every dollar a mushroom grower receives, a pork producer receives $160. Wow. And for every dollar an oat grower gets, the dairy industry gets $80. So these are, this is crazy. We, we should be sustaining and subsidizing foods that are sustainable. And the meat and dairy industries are not sustainable. They're creating um, greater and greater climate change and they're wreaking havoc on the environment. So... I think it needs to happen from above and from below. And then also the children. You were just talking about children. Um, you know, we're taught to do this. And it's normalized to us at a very early age. I mean, I don't know anybody who has been vegan their whole life. Most of the people that I meet uh, who are plant-based, you know, ate animal-based foods up to a certain point in their life. So right. we were taught to do this. Yeah. And that's why it's important for us to kind of disrupt that with, with children. And I see a lot of posts on social media right now saying, you know, should children know where their food comes from? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. They, sh they <laughs> definitely I mean, should. Why wouldn't yeah. we want to know where our food comes from, right? You're going to put it in your body, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, parents uh, don't want their children to know. And I share a study in my book right. uh, that um, so children four to eight years old in the United States was were surveyed and they found some really interesting things. Like 84% of the children surveyed said it was wrong to eat a cow. Yeah, I was like and in that stage. When yeah, I was 79% said it was wrong to eat a pig. Yep. Yeah. And... Um, why is that? It's because children at that age see all animals as being pet-like, right. you know, yeah. and they have empathy for all animals. Right. Well, you know, the, the study said that, you know, we should be uh, letting children know where their food comes from because they don't want to eat animals. And they're becoming unsuspecting meat eaters, you know, because they don't know they're eating it, but they are developing a habit and a taste for 
for animal-based foods and don't even realize it. So they were saying that this would be a powerful way to disrupt that is to educate children about where their food comes from. And, you know, that that idea of empathy for all living creatures, I think that's something we all start out life with, you know. But unfortunately, around the age of late childhood, early adolescence, our brains develop in a way that allows us to do the mental gymnastics that we that's required for us to stop seeing all animals as being pet-like and saying, these animals we see as pets and these animals we, we view as food. And that, that happens around early adolescence and that's uh, something else that, that I share in my book. And so we, we could disrupt a lot of this by just not normalizing this and by educating children about where the food's coming from. Exactly. Yeah, It shouldn't oh, be sure. any more that money talks because think of all the far, um, meat industries right they breed diseases and we go more for the money like it's not deterrent <laughs> mm-hmm. at all oh there's no like incentive bird flu yeah Ca- capitalism made it there's no incentive to to do it so why are you doing it you right. make more money doing it this way why would we why would we switch it right mm-hmm. and the, exactly you know um in 20 I get some of my dates um, mixed up because I don't really remember all the years, but I remember the numbers. So I think it was 2019. Right. Uh, the meat and dairy industry generated $1.2 trillion dollars wow. of economic activity in the United States. That's 6% of our GDP. So that is a huge amount of money. And there are a lot of vested interests in, main, in seeing that that is maintained and not only maintained, but that it expands and grows and becomes even even you know more of our uh, GDP so that they can create get more money and become wealthier you know these big corporations uh, that are producing all these foods that the government is giving them handouts for um, so you know historically like I said animal-based foods are a luxury item and only the wealthiest could enjoy them with any consistency. Right. That's the history. But now we have flipped the script and because of government subsidies, we've made some of the cheapest foods available uh, are animal-based foods that everyone can enjoy. And so, so many of these diseases that we now have that are plaguing so many people, they used to be called diseases of affluence. But they're no longer diseases of affluence because we've made the the food that creates these diseases so affordable that everybody's eating it now. Yeah. Right. So yeah, exactly. Even for low income people, right? Yeah. Like it's actually hard yeah. to afford <laughs> plant based foods like that are actually sure. essential right. for us, like lentils, beans, and rice. But and actually, vegetables. some mm-hmm. yeah, right, they're and so vegetables. Ex- vegetables are more expensive than say meat <laughs> on the shelf. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we're going yeah. to the supermarket that blows our minds. <laughs> the amount of energy to create the meat versus, you know, the plant, it's just, it's crazy. Right. But yeah, yeah right. subsidies and everything just make it so accessible for everyone to just be able to grab it. It's messed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do it mindlessly. Yeah. We don't think about the, the impact of our food choices. Uh, in Kentucky, where I live, it's it's the largest cattle producing state east of the Mississippi River in wow. the United States. Wow. So there are a lot of cattle farms around 
where I live. And if I drive outside the city, you know, I'm going to see them. And I've seen them my whole life. And it looks very pastoral and bucolic and, you know, see the cows in the green fields. And it seems totally benign. Right. You know, you think there's no harm in doing that, but it comes at a huge cost. And we don't see the cost, you know. Uh, all those cows, they're really like a coal-burning plant in terms of their their climate impact. But we don't see that uh, because methane that they're producing is invisible. We, it's not like a, a smokestack at a coal-burning plant. We don't see it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right. You know, yeah. That's true. So, a yeah. silent killer. While companies have learned <laughs> that they can ruin our environment and there's no consequence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they try to fit in carbon taxes, but maybe there needs to be more. Oh, there needs to be. I more. mean, it definitely yeah. comes at the higher level to start, you know, with government start doing some changes before we get there. Yeah, exactly. But, and there's so many cows. So what's the big deal of killing them? We just produce more and then we don't feel bad about killing mm-hmm. them. But it's killing. We are killing. Like, we don't agree on killing humans. Why do uh, we gr- agree on killing certain animals? It's still killing a sentient being. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. really heartbreaking. Yeah. But some people think it's tough to ignore that cows and mm-hmm. pigs and chickens are going to get killed. They don't live long anyways. Well, do you actually know how long a cow can live? Why the right. life expectancy <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a farm mm-hmm. or yeah. even factory farm is so short. 25 years. They're like yeah. babies yeah, like when they get killed live. too. Yeah, dairy cows can live to be 20, 25 years. I'm sure beef cows could too as well. You know, the average lifespan of a of a cow for beef is a year and a half, I think. That's and crazy. for dairy cows, it's four to five years. You know, they go through like four pregnancies, and then they're no longer to produce, no longer able to produce enough milk to be profitable by the meat industry or the dairy industry. So they're sent off to the slaughterhouse at that point. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's really. It's an, and it's an amazing the number the sheer number of animals that that we're killing, um, yeah. And it, it boggles the mind really when you think about you know how many uh, animals. So like for instance, just land animals alone in the United States, we're killing more than a million land animals every hour. Crazy. Mm. Twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year and it just goes on and on and on it's never ending it's a continuous cycle wow and that's why one of the that's one of the problems that the meat industry faced with the uh, lockdowns due to uh, covid was they had all these animals that were piling up and they didn't know what to do with them because they weren't able to to slaughter them so it was it was a real it was a real problem uh, for the meat and dairy industries um, and I talk about that in my book okay, too good. Um, yeah yeah, so, that's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah, that's great. So where can the listeners find your book? And do you have any exciting future plans? Maybe writing a second book? Yeah. Starting a movie? <laughs> yeah, deal. making a movie out of uh, your book? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, I would love to... I would love to do a graphic novel oh, aimed cool. towards, uh, you know, young young children. Oh, wow. Uh, and I think that would be really, really cool, but I don't know if that'll come to fruition or not. Uh, I have to run that by the Grace Foundation to see if they right. would allow me to do that. Yeah. But uh, I think that would be really, really cool to do. Um, and then... You know, I'm just promoting my book right now. Being on shows like yours, I really appreciate uh, you having me oh, on today uh, to share this message. And as far as finding my book, they can find it on uh, Amazon. 
Uh, I think Barnes & Noble also carries it. And they can find me at my website, stuartwaldner.com, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome, Great. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I hope put it in the show notes. Right. I usually motivate our guests, you know, to go on like a veg fest or something, be a speaker there, be a guest speaker. That's the most powerful thing you can do as like keep on spreading your book and your knowledge, right. sharing it with people, because there's a lot of newbies that are new to plant based eating and they like to learn. I remember when right. I was well still new and stuff, I always wanted to learn from other people and listen to their mm -hmm. talks. Mm-hmm. And we're continuing to learn, too. I mean, I've yeah. learned a lot of new things that I, that I didn't know when I wrote my book. I'm learning all the time about new new things that are out there and available. So it's a never-ending process. It's, it's a journey. There's no such thing as, you know, perfectionism as right. a vegan, you know, because we're always learning and always growing and, you know, getting better. And, you know, uh, if we, you know, I, I'll just say I advocate for... Um, complete, you know, uh, whole, plant, uh, whole foods, plant-based lifestyle. But, you know, any reduction people can make is going to make a difference, yeah. you know, for their health and for the planet and certainly for the animals. Um, so I encourage people uh, to, to do the transition if they can't do it like me, cold turkey, you know, to do it gradually and, and just, you know, give up eating meat one day and, and try that for a while and then, you know, add, it, add two days, you know, the... The, with the idea of becoming 100% plant-based in the future. So, yeah. but, you know, we want, we want to make this transition, uh, like I said, because time are really um, facing a huge crisis on all fronts right now. So we need to make this transition uh, as seamlessly and as quickly as possible. Right. And it's all, all hands, it's time for all hands on deck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it was great talking to you, Stuart. And uh, great you, talking you, to Julia. you, too. So if you're on YouTube and see us, you can see us right now. We're yeah, kind of gone. To but if it's, but if it's audio, you won't even know <laughs> that we're know. not there. But uh, <laughs> we just thank you all for tuning in. And uh, thanks for your amazing, inspiring story for yeah. getting the book out. And your knowledge is so much appreciated. And I was so grateful to have you on, on board yeah. on the plant-based journey. And thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you all. Yeah, our pleasure, pleasure too. Pleasure meeting you too, Stuart. Bye. All right, Stuart, take care. Take care, bye. Thank you. All right, ciao. Bye-bye.